God bless you guys. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Good morning. Morning. Uh, The house is full again. Again, when I came in, that part was empty. This part was kind of scattered. And now it's all full. Amen. Yeah, I'm just sharing with you my experience on Sunday mornings. I'm up here on the front and I don't see, but I'm so glad that you all are here this morning. I know we still have several who are sick this morning, uh, even though the house is still full. We still have a few who are out this morning who are not well. Um, Tasha and, and Jeb are home and, uh, Donna is home. Donna Leggett's at home, not doing well this morning still. So be praying for them. And so again, if you see, if you look around, we're in the season of the flu and stuff. If someone that you see is not here, uh, I would encourage you to reach out to them this week and cause I know Colleen's not well today either. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, it's going around. Joy was out last week cause she wasn't well, but she's back today. Hallelujah. Lisa's back after a couple of weeks of, uh, of illness. So, but we're glad that you, and Jimmy's back. He's not been sick. Jimmy's just been working. So Jimmy's here this morning. Good morning. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, children who need to be dismissed at this time. Do we have someone on the list today to take them out? Okay. So they can, little ones may go out with joy and with Annika there. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Turn with me, please, to the gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 21, looking uh, even deeper this morning into uh, the time that Jesus cleansed the temple. We started this last week, Matthew chapter 21, when he comes into the temple in verse 12, he cleansed, he drives out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Remember, this was last week. Um, we're going to look at this scene a little bit deeper here. Now, all four gospels look at this scene differently. They, they all are similar, but then they add different nuances to the, to the scene, to the story. And so today we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. Now, as we begin, I find it amazing that, and maybe you can agree with me or not, those who are the most insecure and self-centered adults, and I'm using that term directly, the most insecure and self-centered adults have the most criticism of the Lord's work, particularly the most criticism of the church. And in here, in what we're looking at today, we'll see the, the, some of the harshest criticisms of our Lord by leaders of the temple who were insecure and self-centered. 
mean, you know the people I speak of. As I say that, I'm sure everyone in their mind, I know somebody who's insecure and self-centered. The ones who are blind to their own immorality, their own faults, but so clear-eyed and focused on the errors of others that they will find something wrong when no error exists. It's what we're going to see today from the chief priests and the scribes. I mean, it's usually it's these types of religious elite that find fault with worship in the Lord's house, because when our Lord is moving, when the purity of his presence dominates the attitudes of his people, the blind and the deaf to our Lord can only hear what suits them. And it's filtered through their insecurities and their self-centeredness. I mean, they complain loudest when their weak authority or no authority at all is threatened. You hear what, hear what I'm saying? I mean, remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that Sunday before the Passover. Do you remember how jubilant the great crowds were that their long-awaited king had arrived? Remember that? The triumphal entry of Jesus? Do you remember how the religious hypocrites reacted to this grand spectacle? Teacher, rebuke your disciples. We read this in Luke chapter 19. They told Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem, rebuke your disciples. They're making a spectacle. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus not only cleared the corrupt market in the temple, Jesus also taught the crowds and he healed the sick when he was there. John's gospel, we're not going to get into that, but if you want to read further, John's gospel as a theme tends to focus more throughout the entire gospel on Jesus' teachings and healings in and around the temple. But Jesus not only cleared it, he taught. We're going to see some a great lesson here today. Matthew 21, verses 14 through 17, I, I think it's going to show us that not only do adults cry out to the Creator as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, but also here, the little ones, the nursing babies, the children will sing Hosanna to the Son of David as He's clearing the temple. When the chief priests and the Pharisees could only be indignant. They were blind. They were deaf to this. So if you're able to stand, will you stand with me as we read Matthew 21, verses 14 through 17 together? But today, after we, we're, also, we're going to be focused on these verses, but we're also going to be unpacking a little bit of Psalm chapter 8 as well. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and of nursing infants you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany. And lodge there. Hmm. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we praise you and we thank you for sharing with us in your gospels, in your word, how Jesus and his authority stood firm. But he also taught deep lessons to those who were in opposition to him. But he also accepted the praise of those that the world rejected. 
And so this morning, Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us through this passage, that you would show us first the authority of your son who is rightly to be praised. But Lord, I also ask that you would challenge us through your word. Challenge us to see, are we the children singing praise, Hosanna to the King of David, or are we indignant at anything out of order? Lord, this is an important text. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Jesus has an intimate relationship with the temple in Jerusalem. I hope that you can begin to see some of that. He, he loved the temple. He had this intimate relationship with the temple. I mean, if we remember the fulfilled prophecy that we looked at last week of Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7, Remember when we looked at verse 13, Jesus purged God's house of prayer of corruption as he's fulfilling this prophecy. And when we do that, we see that our Lord Jesus Christ is jealous for his temple. The temple, though, that Jesus was jealous over was not the building of great stone and cedar and gold. That's not what he was jealous over. Jesus was jealous over the true temple. The dwelling place of God with his people. God's people are the temple and Jesus came to establish this perfect temple. That's what we're going to see in this text. That's what I want you to really pull out. Yes, Jesus goes and he cleans house. But why is he doing it? He's jealous. He's jealous because he knows that what the true temple is, that's part of his mission. Jesus is the temple. He's bringing it to the people and God will dwell with the people. And we, the church, are now the dwelling place of our Father in heaven and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He dwells in us and with us, doesn't he? Amen. Let's look here at verses 14 and 15. And the blind and the, the, but notice this is in the midst or are just following Jesus purging the temple. Remember, he goes through and he, he uses a whip of cords and he drives out the, the, the thieves and the corrupt and, and all the animals that were there that were, that, and he just gets them out because it was so, it had distorted the intent of God's house. And we see here in verse 14 that after he does this, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. It's interesting here that Matthew shows us this in verse 14. He drives on the point that as Jesus exerts his authority to, as the high priest, to clean out the temple, the blind and the lame come to him in the temple and he healed them. As if they, the blind and the lame were not there before. And then in verse 15, here's the reaction of the chief priest. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, notice what this says. These chief priests and scribes were indignant. They couldn't believe it. Their authority got challenged and they got offended. That's what this means. Anger at the point of offense. Matthew shares with us how the people respond to Jesus when he was in the temple. I mean, these verses tell us how the people reacted to the great purge. I mean, Jesus shows his authority publicly by cleansing the corruption. He's always true, or I'm sorry, it's always true that the simple and the oppressed 
will react with gratitude to their liberator. Have you ever been the, the victim of a circumstance and someone comes to your defense? How do you respond to that person? That's what we're seeing here. Jesus liberated the oppression of the corrupt religious leaders from off the backs of the people, God's people. And they respond with praise. And they come to him to be healed and to learn from this great teacher. Notice how they respond in verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Mark chapter 11 that account, Mark chapter 11, verse 18, tells us that all the crowd was astonished at his teachings there in the temple. And then in Luke chapter 19, that version, verse 47, tells us that after Jesus cleansed the temple, he was teaching daily in the temple. Not only does Jesus cleanse the temple, he sets up house himself and he, he sets up his role as the high priest. He sets himself up as the great teacher that he was. I'm going to be with my people and I will dwell with them there and I will instruct them and love them and teach them. And notice how they respond. They couldn't get enough. I mean, it's obvious that Jesus had a great love for the worshipers in the temple. I mean, I believe we can see a deeper truth here about God's purpose for his temple in, in these times where Jesus taught the people there. Think about it, the, the distorted, the distortion of the old temple was openly replaced by Jesus himself. That's what I think the crowds are responding to. That's what the gospel writers, the evangelists of the gospels want us to see. The old temple was corrupted and it was now replaced by the true temple, Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the true temple. But then in verse 15, now Jesus, this is one of his teaching moments. That's what I want us to see here. In verse 14, we see who comes to Jesus and he heals them. These are the blind and the lame, those who are deformed. Then in verse 14, now we see one of Jesus' teaching moments, but this time he's teaching these indignant religious leaders. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, they were indignant. Hmm. Had these chief priests not ever seen lame people and blind people there? Had they never seen children singing praises in the temple? Because apparently this is what caused them to be so angry. <laughs> Don't forget that point. I mean, I love how Matthew helps us to see the response of these prideful men when Jesus works here. He says they were indignant. Why? Why were they indignant? Well, if you're taking notes, Leviticus chapter 21 tells us in the Mosaic law that the blind and the lame, actually the deformed, were not welcome in the temple. More so Leviticus is dealing with uh, the, the, those in the priesthood who may have come under these deformities. But then that, that law is expanded in 2 Samuel chapter 5 to include all people. If you had some kind of a physical deformity to come to the temple meant that you defiled the temple. You were not permitted there. That's why it was such a shock for these high priests that the lame and the blind, the sick, were there to be healed, not just healed by a miracle worker, but be, notice where he was doing the healing in the temple. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. The Mosaic law says, again, they were so wrapped up with following the letter of the law, they 
ignored and were blinded to the spirit of God's law. That's why they were indignant. These, these people were not permitted in the temple. And here comes Jesus. He cleans house. And then what does he do as his first act of the new high priest in the temple? Come on to me. You lame and you blind. You rejected outside. You outcast. Come to me. And they were drawn to him. And the high priest couldn't stand it. I mean, the first obvious answer here by Matthew is that the normal operations of the temple were disrupted. There was a certain order to the way things happened in the temple, the sacrificial system, the dropping of the coins in, in, the, in the offering coffers. There was a rhythm to that. And it was disrupted by these imperfect people. And these imperfect people were drawn to Jesus who had just driven out the money changers, had just cleared out the money-making economy of the market. <clears throat> you could go deeper here that the indignancy of these high priests was that their, their cash flow for their own purses was now disrupted. That's why they were indignant. The normal operations of the chief priests and the scribes had suddenly stopped. And the Lord was there. Remember that the imperfect people were forbidden in the temple because of their physical deformities. If, if, if you were to give a sacrifice, remember the sacrifice was to be without blemish. They took that idea even further to the people. If you come to the house of God, if you come to the temple, you must be without blemish. And if you have some kind of physical deformity, God is not wanting you. And Jesus comes in, he clears all this. I mean, think about this also. Not, not only were these imperfect, blemished people there, these deformed bodies there, likewise, children were disruptive. They were singing. Oh. I mean, think about it. Children were to be silent and not heard. But they were singing praises to Jesus in that moment, in that place. Is that okay? Hey, kids in this room, let me encourage you. You can sing praises to the Lord. We, we want you to. Now, listen to your mom and dad when they say, shh, the sermon's going on. That's good. But when it comes to singing praises, sing praise. Right, kids? How many kids in this room want to sing? Want, uh, well, some of the bigger kids want to sing. Kids, listen to this. This is for you. There are kids in this room right now. I want you to pay attention to what the children did here in verse 15. They sang praises to Jesus. And Jesus loved it. You see that? I mean, Jesus welcomed who the people did not welcome. Jesus welcomed who's not welcomed by further showcasing his divine authority to speak and to act. He welcomes the men by, by welcoming the men and healing them and accepting their praises. Jesus is further showing everyone his authority to be there. See the point? I mean, Jesus making, he made way for the imperfect people. He made way for them. And by doing so, this suggests that he began to clear the way for the final temple, what many scholars call the eschatological temple, the final temple at the end of all days when Jesus will be there, where God will dwell with his people and his people will dwell with him. Jesus is ushering this in here. I mean, the, per, the, the prophet Isaiah foresaw the days when Jesus would make the way clear for the unwanted to worship in God's house. We looked at some of that last week. But if you'll flip over to Isaiah 56, let's look at this even again. We looked at it last week, but let's look at it a second time, right? Verses 4 through 8. 
Isaiah 56, beginning at verse 4. Here's what the prophet says. Now, again, any time that an Old Testament prophet begins with this, for thus says the Lord, he is the mouthpiece of our God. We're studying this on Wednesday nights, right, in the in the Minor Prophets. Everybody remember that? We looked at Amos some more deeply uh, this last Wednesday. And every time that Amos spoke a new prophecy, it was, thus saith the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Isaiah 56, 4, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 6, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds... And holds fast my covenant. Verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And verse 8. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy as he cleanses the temple. He's welcoming in. Notice here in Isaiah 56, 8, the Lord God himself is the one who gathers the outcast of Israel. He says, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. If this prophecy had not come to get, uh, come fulfilled, none of us in this room would be welcomed at the Lord's throne. And so Jesus, by welcoming in the lame and the blind, by celebrating the praises of the children, he's setting the tone and establishing his authority. This is what my God, my Father in heaven wants. You see that? Now, now let's look here at Isaiah 56 a little bit deeper. Who were the foreigners and the eunuchs here? It was the foreigners and the eunuchs who were mentioned here, the outcast. And they, they were the ones who would be brought to the holy mountain of God by God himself to make them joyful in my house of prayer. These children in, in, the, in the temple that Jesus cleared, the children were expressing the joy. Now, I'm sure that the lame and the blind were also jumping and dancing and leaping. We see that in other contexts of the New Testament, that when they were healed, they jumped up and they laughed and they sang praises to the Lord. But in this context of of Matthew 21, it's the children who are singing joyful praises to their Lord. As God wants. That's what he wants. He He wants to make them joyful in his house of prayer. Their sacrifices and their offerings would be acceptable to God himself despite being rejected by the corruption of the priesthood. The sacrifices and the offerings acceptable here in Isaiah 56, what's that? What are the acceptable sacrifices and offerings that the Lord looks for? What are those? It would be prayer. Prayer. Not just rote prayer. We're talking about heartfelt, joyful prayer. On Sunday mornings, we're still gathering at 8 o'clock to pray. And I'm so glad that I have men and and some young ladies now coming on Sunday mornings to pray at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings here at Sovereign Grace for you. You know that? And let me back up here. And I don't say this to shame anyone. I just want to let you know how we came to this point. I prayed at this altar by myself for two years 
before anyone in this congregation felt comfortable enough to come and pray with me. And I'm so grateful. That's what I'm saying. I'm so happy that we now have people who are here who want to come on 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings and pray for you. If you cannot come here to pray, if your schedule does not permit that, please pray at home. God's acceptable sacrifice from us, according to Isaiah 56, is this. What? Prayer. Joyful prayer. That's his sacrifice. Prayer for all peoples, not just the peoples here in the church, but prayer for all peoples to come to the house of the Lord, to his house of prayer. And then in verse eight, Matthew, I mean, Isaiah 56, verse eight, the Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares he's the one who gathers them in to pray. It is the Lord God himself who does this. He he wants, he invites, he actually goes and he gathers up the outcasts, the Gentiles, the lame, the blind, the children. I will gather yet others to him beside those who already gathered. Those gathered by the Lord would be the ones who choose the things that please him. That's what we see in Isaiah 56 um, verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Who are them? These are the foreigners and the eunuchs. Now, who are the eunuchs and the foreigners? Clearly the foreigners would be these, those outside of the, of the children of Israel, those Gentiles, if you will. And I think I've shared this before that many of our brothers and sisters in the church around the world, especially my time in India, they call anyone who is not a Christian a Gentile. If you're outside of the church, you are a Gentile. I love that terminology and that use of that term. We can even use that in our prayers. Dear Lord, bring in the Gentiles, the unsaved in our community. Bring them here. But what else? He also talks about the eunuchs here. We got to understand. I mean, we won't get into the details of what a eunuch is, but let's just say that a eunuch is, is a deformed body. Eunuchs, I think, in, in, in Isaiah 56, clearly talking about, I mean, real eunuchs, but I think the term area, especially tied to what Jesus is doing in Matthew 21 in the temple, eunuchs is a term referring to the deformed. You could say the lame and the blind are deformed bodies. Same concept here. The eunuchs are deformed bodies. And Jesus in the temple, he's welcoming in the deformed bodies, the lame who cannot walk, the blind who cannot see. The deaf who cannot hear. Same imagery here of a deformed body of a eunuch, just in a broader context. He's welcoming, he's fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy by welcoming in the eunuchs, the deformed, the unwanted, the blemished. How many of us are that way? And Jesus welcomes them in and they sing praises to him and he accepts their praise because in in Isaiah 56 verse 4, those who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant will be the ones who keep my Sabbath and the ones who I will accept their praise. He accepts the praise of those who do the things, who choose the things that please him. And they hold fast to the promise of the Savior. Those are the ones that come, even if they're deformed, even if they're the outcast, even if they're the unwanted. What Jesus looks for, what God the Father looks for is the heart of joy. The ones who accept and embrace the things that please him. 
and the thing, and that promise with them. That's what he's looking for. You see that? Now let's let's go back to Matthew twenty-one verse fifteen. Again, let's let's read this one more time. The reaction of the chief priests and the scribes when they saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. I mean, let's further think about why the chief priests and the scribes were indignant. We've talked about some of it. Let's look a little bit deeper. When Jesus purged the temple of the corrupt commerce, I mean, all the economy of the sacrificial system stopped. That's not insignificant. No one could buy sacrificial animals. No one could exchange currency. The sacrificial system stopped when Jesus cleaned house. <laughs> That's not insignificant. He does this for a reason. He ind- Jesus does this. He indicates by doing this that the temple's purpose in offering sacrifice for forgiveness was going away. And that the temple was awaiting judgment. I mean, those forbidden to enter the temple because they were deformed, they were less than, or they, they were children. Oh my goodness, the children coming in? I mean, all of this was going away. Those who were, who were cast out and forbidden were now welcomed in and invited by Jesus, suggesting that he was beginning to clear the way for his temple. He stopped the economy of the sacrificial system to make way for the outcast and the unwanted, the deformed. The healing of the blind and the lame, I think, reflects further that Jesus, he's taking over the true temple and he's establishing exactly what God promised he would establish over and over again in every covenant he made in the Old Testament. Jesus healing miracles. I mean, he's healing here. That's what Matthew shares with us in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And what does he do? He healed them. His healing miracles show us that his, that, that his healing could heal spiritual disease since he offers himself for the forgiveness of sin. Remember what Jesus said to the paralytic who was let down through the roof of the house in Capernaum. Remember, his friends came and tore the roof open in Capernaum and let this man down. What happened here in Mark chapter 2, verse 5? And when Jesus saw their faith, both, and I'm going to say both the friends and his paralytic, he saw their faith, plural. He said to the paralytic, son, your sons are forgiven. So we have, I think we have gospel precedence here that as God heals physical ailments, He's healing the spiritual ailment of sin. The two are connected. Now, I'm not, do not go out of here and say, Pastor Brian's preaching and name it and proclaim it that, that if you are sick, somehow you're in sin. I didn't say that. Can I say that again? I did not say that because I will get a phone call. I actually got a phone call this week from somebody, not from this church, outside of the church, but they called me anyway. By healing the blind and the lame in the temple, Jesus shows everyone that he is the source of forgiveness instead of this sacrificial economy, the sacrifice economy in the market and in the temple. It became an economy. Jesus, by doing this, he's showing that he is the source of forgiveness. He is the source of cleansing and not the corrupt temple. The old temple dies just as Jesus's body dies. He becomes the sacrifice. 
The new temple rises just as Jesus' body rises, becoming himself a corporate body of prayer, God's house of prayer. You see what he's doing here. Jesus is the new temple. As he dwells with his people, he opens up the temple for all to come to him. And and now he dwells with us, in us, through us. That's the temple that was always promised. Verse 16. And as usual, the religious elite shush the crowds by trying to shush Jesus. Look here in verse 16. And these priests, the chief priests and scribes who were indignant, verse 16, they said to him, do you hear what these are saying, talking about the children? Jesus indicates here, what does he say? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? What's he doing here? I love Jesus' response. These indignant chief priests and scribes could not stand that children were making noise in the temple. I'm all for children making noise in sovereign grace within boundaries. And parents, you're doing a pretty good job. I'm I'm proud of you teaching your children respect in God's house as appropriate. But then at the same time, we got to balance that with children. I also have to have joy in God's house, too. We got to teach them that. I mean, these indignant chief priests and scribes could not stand the fact that children were making noise in the temple. Now, it's not that these children were making disrespectful noise. Now, children, if you make disrespectful noise, I hope that mom and dad will stop you. Mom and dad, you hear me? And you do. But if you're making praise noises to the Lord in his house, all the more, please do. Not only were these children disruptive here in the temple, they were also taking the glory away from the chief priests and putting their praise upon Jesus. You see the, the, you see the deeper insecurities of these men? You see, that's what we start, remember? Insecure people who are self-centered cannot accept what God is doing when his people sing praises to him. What were these children singing? Hosanna to the son of David. This is, where did we read this prior? Where have we seen this? It's the same cry of praise expressed by the adults in the great crowd as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem in Matthew 29 or 21 verse 9. You, you, if you're in your Bible, just look at 21 verse 9 and then look at 21 verse 15 and just make a little connection there. The children were singing the same praise that the adults were singing outside of the gates of Jerusalem. Matt, Matthew's doing this on purpose, folks. He's connecting all of the scenes together for us to see what God is doing. These children were only doing what they're, what the adults were doing. Remember that Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem fulfilled the prophecy of God's desire to dwell with his people. Remember, God wanted to move with them as they moved with him all in one accord. The Son of God goes where his people goes, and likewise, his people goes where he goes. And that's what's happening in the temple. Now, Jesus reminds these indignant priests here in verse 16. He cites the Psalm of David, Psalm 8. After all, I mean, think about these learned men of the law and the prophets certainly knew the Hebrew Psalter. Certainly they knew Hebrew. I mean, Psalm chapter 8. Out of the mouth mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. That was Jesus's response to these men. 
You're indignant that they are singing praise? Let me remind you what David said. God said this through David as he wrote this psalm, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Turn with me over to Psalm 8. I think it's important for us to understand this in context here. Psalm 8. And I had it bookmarked and now I don't. Y'all don't do that, do you? Say, I'm not the perfect pastor either. My fault. Psalm 8. There we go. Now, Psalm 8 is, we have to understand what Jesus is saying here by understanding what David is saying in this wonderful psalm. Let's read this. To, I want to read this to you. Psalm 8. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. That's verse 2. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Verse nine, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, to understand what Jesus is doing here by citing Psalm 8, verse 2, to these high priests, let's understand the context here. Psalm 8, verse 4, reminds us of the lowly state of man. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That's the heart of this psalm. It's a prayer to the Lord. Who am I, Lord, that you would care enough about me? That's the context of Psalm 8. So why is Jesus citing this? The irony of the low stature of man cannot be missed here as Jesus heals and teaches in the temple, as he heals the outcast and he teaches the lowly, the forbidden people in the temple court of the Gentiles. Who are they to come to the temple? Just like the psalmist David in Psalm 8 says, Who are we human beings? Who am I as a man that you consider me? David sings praise to the Lord anyway. How majestic is your name in all the earth. He sings that praise because in Psalm 8, 4, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Oh, you love us and you care about us so much. As low as we are, you love us. You consider us. And Jesus is citing um, uh, Psalm 8 verse 2 in response to these priests out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies. You have prepared praise. He's sarcastic here. His response to these high priests is a bit of sarcasm. And And in this sarcasm, he's teaching these indignant chief priests that the enemies and the foes of our Lord and his majestic name would be silenced by the praise coming from the mouths of babes and, and, and infants. Because in Psalm 8, 2, in, in the original Hebrew, that's what we read, read in Psalm, out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. 
And what Jesus cites in Matthew 20, I mean, Matthew 21, uh, verse 16 is actually the Greek Septuagint translation of that. That's why the words are a bit different. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So Jesus is talking about praise. David in Psalm 8, verse 2 is talking about quieting the enemy and the avenger. Same thing. If you really think about it. The praise of the children is silencing the enemies of God. (laughs) That's what he's talking about here. Who are the lowly infants and the babies that God is mindful of them? So much so that these infants and these babies will sing with laughter and praise at the presence of the Savior and the enemy's criticism will be silenced in the midst of it. Psalm 8 shows us that if God can bring strength or praise from the mouths of infants, how much more can he confound and silence the powerful by the mouths of these children? And that's what Jesus is pointing out in the temple. Now, how do we take this home? Think about Adam's failure in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. God gave Adam the task to establish his temple, God's temple, in the created order. Did Adam succeed? Nope. What does Jesus do? Jesus is called to do what Adam could not do. He's establishing the temple as God desires his temple. He wants to dwell with his created And his created does not want to dwell with him. And so Jesus comes to correct that distortion. He comes to say, Adam could not do it, but I will. That's why Jesus is called the new Adam. Jesus comes to establish the true temple because he is the temple, the dwelling of God, the one who ushers in the spirit of God to be with his people, the one who sacrificed all that he is so that we no longer carry the burden of sacrifice. The one who atoned for our sins so we would no longer have to offer atonement in the temple because the temple is now purged. Yet so many cannot hear the praise of the outcast who praise him. So many cannot hear the praises rightly due this wonderful Savior who sacrificed all for us. Why is it that we cannot hear the praise? Like the, I mean, these priests, they could not hear. And they said to him, here's what Jesus said to them. Do you hear what these are saying? That's the question for us all. Do you hear the praise of the mouth of infants and babes? Do you hear the praise of those who have been rejected to me? Do you hear it? That's how we need to take this home. These men, these chief priests and these scribes, they could not hear the praise because of their insecurities and their self-centered arrogance. And Jesus challenges them. Do you not hear their praise? Are you so deaf and blind to the truth of what I am doing here, that you cannot hear the truth. You cannot hear the fulfillment of the psalmist here. You cannot hear the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. Are you so blind and deaf to this that you cannot hear? This is why the chief priests, is why the chief priests and scribes could not hear the praise of Jesus without being indignant. 
because they were too proudful in their own arrogance. Yet it was the humble. It was the children. It was the ones with no hope. It was the, the, the blind and the lame, the deformed. The ones with no hope are gifted hope because other men who reject them, who keep them from coming to worship the Lord, the Lord himself comes and he opens the way for them to come worship him. Jesus is the one gift worth expressing gratitude and praise to. That's the lesson of Jesus here. Jesus is the gift with that magnificent name that, that Psalmist David was talking about. He, who are we to worship him? Who are we that Jesus would be happy to hear our praises? And Jesus gladly accepts the praises of the children. He gladly accepts the praises of the crowds who were rejected. He'll gladly accept your praise if you embrace those things that please Him. Can you hear the praise of Jesus? (laughs) Or are you indignant at the thought of Him? That's the question. Can you hear... I mean, some, I mean, there are many people who come into this church right now, and I'm, I'm not pointing out anyone, but they will hear the gospel. They will hear the singing of praise by God's people, and they can't get it. To many, it just irritates them. That's the problem. So what do we hear? What do you hear? That's the words of Jesus here. What do you hear? Do you hear the praises Hosanna to the son of David. Singing praise that the king is here. He's made the way for us to worship without hindrance, without rejection. That's worthy of praise. Let's pray. Father God Almighty, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And all thank you for giving us the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us through the Gospels here how he established the truth with his authority and with his might, with his compassion. His compassion was stronger than the arrogance and the insecurities and the indignation of these chief priests and scribes. His compassion ruled over them. And that is worth singing praise. And so, God, this morning, I do pray that you would challenge every one of us. Are we deaf to the praise sung to your son? Or do we join in? Do we sing Hosanna to the son of David? Hosanna to the king in the highest. Dear Lord, give us that song of joy to sing praises to the name that is magnified above all names. Help us, Father, because your son Jesus has done this for us. Teach us and give us the strength to embrace it, to join it. We thank you, Father, for this. We thank you for this gift, and we thank you for this promise. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.